Buckle your shoelaces, it's time for episode number 84 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. Today we're going to talk about how to stop the cycle of codependency. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now your host, Jason Lavoy. All right, welcome to episode number 84. Yes, we are here. Today, we are going to be talking about codependency. And my guest is Michelle Farris, and she's a licensed psychotherapist, anger management specialist, author, course creator. She loves helping codependent people create healthy relationships without sacrificing their big heart. And she's written several workbook, workbooks and online courses on building relationship skills and has been featured in various places like Psych Central, Bustle, Your Tangle, The Goodman Project, The Daily Positive, Boss Moms, and various mental health podcasts. In her private practice, she teaches simple yet powerful skills that help build self-trust in healthy relationships. She can also often be found with a venti latte from Starbucks while working on her next course. So let me please introduce Michelle Farris. Michelle, welcome to the show. I'm so glad, glad that you're here. I am too. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me. I'm really excited. I love that you help people through divorce. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I um, I always say part of my you know, backstory, although we're here for you, not me, is that, you know, when I was a divorce attorney, I, I couldn't stand it because of all the, oh, you know, the crap that, that goes along with it. But yeah. I loved helping people and I still love helping mm -hmm. people. That's why I do it this way. And it's like, so I get, I get to do everything I like about helping people with divorce, but without all the, the crap. <laughs> yeah. All the drama and the conflict. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so thank you so much for that. And that's why I was so excited to, to reach out to you and get you on the show too, because I know you can help and, and give some really good uh, pieces of information to people out there looking for help. So mm -hmm. for people who are not super familiar with you, I do this with all my guests, is sure. like give everybody a little bit of background about, you know, who you are, but, and how mm -hmm. you kind of got to this point in your life. So I started my own personal recovery work when I was 21 and I always knew I wanted to be a therapist, but that in particular really made me want to be a therapist because I learned firsthand how to go from being sad and miserable to actually learning the tools to live a better life. So honestly, that's why I love this work because I do it personally as well as professionally. That's so, so awesome. And um, isn't that the truth though? You know, when, mm -hmm. if you dig down deep enough in most people's lives, you know, there's a connection to some personal yeah. aspect that leads them to what they're doing professionally, right? That's right. I always say I would be a therapist, but in college, I, you know, was going to major in psychology, but they made you take two statistics classes and I'm just not hotwired that way. I wouldn't even pass. I'm like, not either. One. I don't know how I passed it. I totally I, get you. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have passed it. I know myself better than that. The, the, the basic one, let alone the advanced one. So if you minored, you didn't have to take any statistics. Yeah, but you passed the bar. Which to me is insane because that's like a two or three day test, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I yeah. know. I'm just. That's pretty impressive. Anything um, statistical like that. I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm just not me. <laughs> so, but I, I would have been a therapist. I think I would have been a therapist if I wasn't an attorney. It's okay. Well, you're a coach. Very similar. That's right. I just play one on TV. <laughs> so, so let's talk about 
how you help people and, and specifically yeah. because I help people going through a divorce and dealing with mm -hmm. divorce, mm -hmm. a lot of people listening, you know, are dealing in a, that they're in a contested situation. It's mm -hmm. not super amicable. Um, yeah. Custody is an issue most of the time. And it's just it's a lot of mudslinging and name calling and it's, you know, drama. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, you know, the word narcissist gets thrown around there. Yeah, a, a ton. And so they're dealing with that type of a person. Mm -hmm. Now, I know one of your big uh, areas of expertise is codependency. Mm -hmm. um, so I figured we could talk about that and how that's kind of intertwined in, in divorce sure. and, and dealing with interpersonal relationships. So I guess the best way to start off is like from step one, and let's mm -hmm. define what is codependency. Yeah. So to me, codependency is a pattern of behavior where you're focusing on others at your own expense. So you're losing yourself in your relationships. You're looking to other people for validation because you don't know how to give it to yourself. So you're very other focused, right? These are the helpers. These are the people who contribute a ton. And we want to be able to preserve some of that in recovery, but the problem is, is that they give so much that they neglect themselves and they cause themselves a lot of internal stress and resentment and uh, overwhelm because they don't know how to balance giving with receiving. Right. And it is a balance, right? Um, it is a balance for sure. Is, is codependency uh, an actual diagnosis somebody gets, or is it just a term that we use to describe the behavior? You know, there is a diagnosis, but it's not directly codependency. It's called dependent personality disorder, which is not exactly the same thing. Someday, I can't imagine it's not going to be a part of a DSM diagnosis, but it's not currently. Uh, okay. And it can be a continuum. Some people can be somewhat codependent. Others can be severely codependent. It's kind of like drinking. You can be a heavy social drinker or you can be a gutter alcoholic. Right right? Codependency is the same thing. Um, that's why some people miss it because they might not relate to, like some people don't relate to being controlling, right? Because they're more the people pleaser, the person who will avoid conflict at all costs. So they'll do whatever is necessary to appease the situation and to make sure everybody's happy. Whereas the control person that wants control tends to be more in your face. You should be doing it this way. Let me tell you how to run your life. And they have a more um, aggressive approach to life versus the people pleaser that's going to be uh, the super nice guy, the super nice gal, but has no boundaries. Right. So, I mean, I hear that describes so many relationships that I hear okay. about, right? Yeah. Um, and I, it's almost like the, it's the mixing of two, um, or what's the way, the way I want to say this? It's like the... Um, perfect storm of events is that in that you have yeah. somebody who is aggressive and controlling mm -hmm. um, and they're looking for somebody to prey on who will, you know, do whatever they want and, and listen to everything right. they say. And then they meet this person who exhibits codependency. Um, mm -hmm. And they just, it's like a perfect match uh, yep. because they feed right into each other. Yeah. And that's, typically the narcissistic type of person who's more self-centered or the alcoholic addict that is so engrossed in their substance that they're needing someone to do their life for them. 
so yeah, those are really, and in divorce, what's difficult is if you're codependent, you're not going to be able to advocate for yourself in that situation because you're not going to necessarily know what you want and need because you're so focused on what your ex needs and wants or the fear you have of them that it, you're going to need some support in navigating that. Thank God for you. <laughs> and in codependent situations, do you find that, especially when we're talking about divorce, mm-hmm. can a code, can somebody who would fall into that codependent category, mm-hmm. um, are they the ones who typically say, you know what, I've had enough and I'm ready for a divorce, or are they the ones who are constantly responding? Um, and the other person says, you know what, I'm done. I've had a divorce and mm-hmm. now they're just overwhelmed and they don't know how to, you know, they mm-hmm. want to try to make it better. And, and I mean, or is it, yeah. how does that work in your experience? So it takes a lot for a codependent person to leave a relationship. Yeah. They have to have a pretty big bottom. Uh, but sometimes they will, if it gets bad enough, or if they've gotten into recovery and they're realizing, oh, the, I'm really being hurt in this relationship. There's some gaslighting. There's, you know, I'm, I'm not able to be who I am. I can't share my recovery with my partner in my relationship. Uh, you're being abused physically or psychologically. Those are going to definitely be areas where the codependent person is going to initiate the divorce, but you know, it'd be interesting to see what the stats on that are, because I think I could see it both ways where right. the codependent will hang on for dear life because they don't want to be alone no matter what. And if they get recovery, that's when they may leave. Right. It's, it's when they, the recovery is that switching point where they could say, yeah. oh, you know, I, I actually have the power to right. change the situation. Right. Um, now, where let's talk about like codependency and kind of where the roots of that come from, mm-hmm. um, you know, where in, a, in somebody's life do they develop these codependent behaviors from? I mean, mm-hmm. is it usually from childhood, early mm-hmm. adulthood? And, and, and what is it where yeah. they just turn into this codependent person? Well, codependency develops in families, not only with addiction, that most people know that link between alcoholism and codependency, but it can be anywhere where the parents are not emotionally available and not able to really do the work of parenting because let's face it parenting is difficult it's a, it's yeah it's like it's more of a one-way street than people realize not that our kids don't love us but really it needs to be us giving to them most of the time to help them develop and grow into healthy people and if you don't have a lot of skill in that and you don't you haven't done your own work, it's going to be really hard. So what happens in dysfunctional families is the parents don't have the energy and the tools and the wherewithal to do that. So they make the child be quiet, um, become a caretaker at an early age, raise their siblings, uh, be seen and not heard. And then the child doesn't get that development of who I am and what I love and what I like, because it's no, 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 you need to take care of others. You need to be selfless. There's all these messages that happen because the parent doesn't know how to parent effectively. And let's face it, you know, it's the hardest job we'll ever have. So I really empathize with a lot of parents who 
even my own that I can look back and go, yeah, I can understand why my mom as a single mom had trouble because there were no books back then. It was, it was Dr. Spock and it was leaving your kid in, in the crib to cry. I mean, yeah. there was not any help back then. <laughs> and, and even today, you know, where I guess there are a lot of books, but who's really reading them and who has time to read them before right. you become a parent. And there's no real, you know, parent handbook out there and it's hard. Right. And so it is hard. that's a great you have episode. To seek it out. That's a great uh, topic for another show. I'm going to have to bring you back on. We can talk about there you go. Right. How to, how to not become, how to not turn your child into a, a codependent. <laughs> mm, really? Yeah. Because, you know, I, as a parent myself, I have a young seven-year-old and, and I just have one and it's hard. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and, and I don't, my, I'm the middle of three brothers and I do say, I don't know how my mother did it. And yeah, you know, my parents are still married to this day, but mm. you know, it's still, um, it's so hard and, and I want to, you know, try my best to, to make sure I, I'm raising my child in a healthy way. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes if you don't yeah. know what you're doing is wrong, then you don't know. Um, right. And so, one of the yeah. biggest things we can do as parents is to validate our kids' reality. Because what sets up the narcissistic and codependent relationship more than anything is the codependent child gets their needs and wants and reality denied. Like you think dad's an alcoholic? No, he isn't. Be quiet. We don't need to hear that you're sad or depressed or that you see, you know what I mean? That, that we don't see and validate the child's experience. So the child grows up looking for validation in their relationships for their reality because they were taught, nope, the sky is green, it's not blue. And if you have 18 years of that, it's really, really hard to trust yourself. Yeah, you you get hotwired into yeah. this is the way it is, and then this is yep. normal. Yep. Um, and then until you understand and experience that you know, not everybody thinks like that. And, you know, it's not so normal that, right. you know, it, it probably doesn't occur to you. Right. Cause that was right. going to be my next question. That was a great transition. It's kind of like, what are the, what are the first signs of, of codependency? Mm. Well, being a caretaker, uh, not just being a caretaker, but neglecting yourself in the process. Yeah. So you're so focused on uh, helping, fixing, controlling the situation and other people that you don't know what you want and need. You don't know, you don't ever set a boundary because you're so afraid somebody's going to be upset at you that you would rather stay silent and please them. But over time, of course, what happens is this underlying resentment that is going to grow and grow and grow until eventually the codependent will explode because we can't hold on to that much energy uh, after a while because it hurts us. Right. And I, and I love how you said that, the fact that, because I think empathy is, is a great attribute, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. oh yeah everything that narcissists don't have. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. But, but empathy on the extreme level to the point where you're neglecting yourself and your health right. and your well-being, that's what we're talking about here is that right. that's when you know, perhaps it's like I tell my daughter, everything in moderation mm -hmm. or most things yes. is good, right? Right. Absolutely. Anything, too much of anything is bad. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Moderation is definitely the goal in recovery because most codependents think, well, I don't want to stop giving. You don't have to. You just have to consult yourself first and say, you know, do I have enough time to help my friend move? Or am I so tired that, you know what? I don't want to. I'm going to say no because I need to take a weekend for myself. And that doesn't make me selfish. 
because the codependence head is going to say, that's selfish. You should help others. You should be available at all times to family and friends when really that's how you wipe yourself out. Yeah. You got to have boundaries and absolutely, you know, the word, I'm so glad you kind of brought up the word selfish um, Mm -hmm. because I think that has a negative connotation to it, right? People, you you, you say selfish and at least to me, I feel Mm. like people say, oh, that's not good. I'm not selfish. You you don't want to be selfish. You want to be generous. You want to be, and, but tell me if you agree with this. I think it's okay to be selfish from time to time. You have Mm -hmm. to be selfish to be healthy, to really be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I think when it's a pattern and we always choose us over other people, then we're in the narcissistic camp. Right. (laughs) But again, extreme. That's right. But if it's no, Jason, you know, this isn't going to work for me. Thanks so much for asking. You know what? That doesn't make me a bad person. That just makes me a person with boundaries. And, but the thing is, is that's the other key is if our relationship can't tolerate that because the other person flips out when we set a boundary and say, no, that's a real red flag. So when you talked about, you know, um, people dating after divorce, we were chatting before uh, we went live, you know, that's a big thing is, are, is that person able to tolerate you saying no and taking care of yourself? Because if they're not, that's a major red flag. Yes. I love that because, and that's why somebody who exhibits narcissistic behavior, mm-hmm. they play and they, they kind of look for, I guess, codependent type personalities yeah. because yes. they play off each other almost perfectly. Um, mm-hmm. right. Except it's, totally dysfunctional. Um, right. right. But like the narcissist is getting everything they want. And and, right. and then the codependent is thinks that they're in a healthy relationship. Um, right. Because with. the honeymoon is really exciting. Uh, narcissistic people can be very charming. Yes. You know, flowers, dinner, extravagant gifts, but they're not doing it for the person. They're doing it to feel uh, like they're the best in the world. Look at me, look at what I'm giving, look at how wonderful I am. So it's a totally different come from versus someone who is giving because they care about the other person. Right. The intent is not there. Right. Absolutely. Um, so you brought it up and I, and I definitely wanted to, to get it in with you before our time's up. Um, Mm -hmm. which is post-divorce, you know, you know, you get through the divorce, you know, good for you. You're, you're hopefully in that recovery stage, right? Right. Right. Um, but, but people who have exhibited codependent behavior in the past, what should they look for? Or what should they do so mm-hmm. they don't? If they want another relationship in the future, mm-hmm. they don't fall into the same types of traps. I would get into some kind of recovery, which mean which most of the time means getting into either therapy or twelve step work. So Al-Anon or CODA are two free 12-step programs that deal with codependency directly. And honestly, codependency is like a tree with many branches. It goes everywhere. And it's really hard to do this work in isolation, even with just a therapist. So I would definitely recommend starting your own peer group if you don't want to check out 12 steps. But 12-step programs are really the place I send people the most. Okay, that's interesting. And, and I'll put this in the show notes, um, with links to these yeah. sites, but CODA is, what's the acronym? codependence and anonymous. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, and what was the other one? Al-Anon? Al-Anon. And that's for friends and families of alcoholics and addicts. But if you grew up with alcoholism or a- addiction, you're going to fit right in. Okay. 
Awesome. Um, and again, if you're listening and you're not in front of a computer or anything, I will put this in the show notes. You can, you can get it all there. Um, so they joined a 12 step program. Mm -hmm. How do you know you're ready? Like, how do you know mm -hmm. they well, meet another relationship and then, you know, their, their ears are perked up because now they're right. aware of their behavior or their past history. Mm -hmm. How do they know if they're in a healthy relationship now? Well, is it mutually satisfying? Is there a give and take that works? Because if there isn't, that almost always uh, signals some type of codependency. If it's one-sided, if you feel like you're chasing the person, if you feel like you're doing all the heavy lifting and they're just uh, emotionally not necessarily available for you, but want you when they want you. Right. <laughs> you know, those are, those are all signs. But usually I think when people go through divorce, that is a period of time where the pain can provide the motivation to do something different so that they don't go in and find another person that's uh, going to create a codependent connection with them. And on, on average, I know everybody's different, mm -hmm. but if somebody were to join one of these 12-step programs or yeah. peer support groups, um, what, what do you think? Oh, my cell phone just went off for some weird reason <laughs> and it's on vibrate, but, um, what, how long does it take to, mm -hmm. to really kind of get through the process and do, do the work? So mm -hmm. you, you're mm -hmm. ready for that next relationship in a healthy way. You know, it does depend, but I think at least taking a year to do this work, uh, because, Codependent people tend to go from relationship to relationship. They don't want to be alone. And to give yourself that period, it doesn't have to be a year, but I would definitely invest at least six months into a 12-step program because most people who do that, even in the first month, they feel so much better because they feel connected. They don't feel alone. They have practical tools. They have a mentor because they offer sponsors who can mentor you through the program all for free. I mean, you can't beat it really. So, you know, but I would say that first year post-divorce is going to be really a time to be grieving and to be taking care of yourself and to tying up the loose ends of the marriage, because, you know, there's a, a big grieving process when you get divorced that people don't typically do. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I, I, I say it all the time, but I feel like a broken record. Yeah. So I love it when other people echo it. Is that, you know, you're right. You have to put in the work uh, yeah, to get do. the results. And it's not going to be an instantaneous thing. It's not going to be an overnight change. It's little small steps every day. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll get you there, but you got to do it and, right. and, you know, kind of put in the work. Right. Yeah. 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 I love that. Thank you. Um, sure. Now, how do you help people? Do you, um, coach them themselves or, you mm -hmm. know, can they contact you and, and how would you be able to help? So I do individual counseling if you're in California. Okay. Um, I also have online products because part of what happened in my own recovery is I saw the gaps of where I took a really long time to heal because I, even though I did 12 step in therapy, there were gaps. And one of the gaps was um, trusting myself. I had mm. no clue how to do that. And I honestly didn't want to because I was so focused on other people <laughs> in my in my codependency. So I created some journals for people like a self-trust journal, a codependency workbook, because there are some 
people who are good at self-study and will benefit from writing exercises and really diving into finding out what their patterns are in a loving way, because, you know, the more we live in a time where there's so many more tools and why not take advantage of them? You know, I mean, there's a lot of coaches out there, not just me and programs and things that could really, really help you. Oh, that's great. And where can they find these resources that you're talking about? Uh, Counselingrecovery.com is my website. Okay. And again, I will put that in the show notes for everybody who is not in front of a computer right now. Um, Michelle, these are, this was ton, tons of golden nuggets that I think you were able to share um, for our listeners. And so I know I'm appreciative. I know they are. Thank you so much for oh, thank spending you. some this time. This was really fun. <laughs> um, I told you it would go by quick. <laughs> I know it totally did. Um, so thank you again. And yeah, I love the fact I'm going to have to ask you on for another session sometime. I would uh, love that. Talk about uh, some other things, lots to talk about. All right, another episode in the books. Thank you for listening. Now, if you want to get more new episodes when they come out, please subscribe to the podcast. It is free. And if you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you could just leave a kind review on iTunes. That would be really helpful. Also, if you or you know anybody who's looking for personal help with their divorce and is looking for some coaching to be on their team, check out my website, jasonlavoy.com or email me at jason at jasonlavoy.com and I'll be happy to see if and how I can help you. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon.